Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Welcome to Jesus 911 Soul Patrol Two Man Car. Jess Romero, Paul Clay, two retired Los Angeles cops. Uh, with, with about uh, almost 60 years of experience between both of us. We've got a special guest here. I can't wait to talk to him, uh, Joshua Charles. He wrote a book. It's called The War of the Antichrist. Boy, boy, me and Paul are going to... Pe- me and Paul as two ex-cops. We're going to pepper him with a lot of questions because that's what we did for, for decades and decades is ask people questions and investigate. So Joshua Charles is a number one New York Times bestselling author. He's a historian. A classical pianist. My wife's always saying, guys that play the piano are the smartest guys in the room. He's also a former White House speech writer. He has degrees in music, government, and law. He came into the Catholic Church from Protestantism in 2019. Welcome uh, welcome to the family of God, uh, Joshua. Welcome home. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, so, Joshua, the book that you wrote, it's... Uh, you basically took an old classic work from Monsignor George Dillon, who was an Irish Catholic missionary who served as a priest in Australia for many years, where he was a missionary apostolic of Pope Pius the 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 ninth. Ninth, yeah. Yeah. So in 1884, he delivered a series of lectures in Edinburgh on Freemasonry in response to Pope Leo XIII's call to tear away the mask of Freemasonry. These were published as a book in 1885 entitled The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization. It was endorsed by Pope Leo XIII. And uh, you basically took the book. And what did you do? Did you update the book or did you just give us some deeper explanations? What did you do with that old classic book, uh, Joshua? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks, Jesse, for having me on again. I appreciate it. I have admired your work for many years. So thank you. Um, Yeah, I read this work uh, ironically. I remind people, I came into the church in July 2019, July 13th of all day, a pretty Fatima uh, significant date. And uh, my first Easter, therefore, ended up being in 2020, which, you know, there it was a somewhat eventful year. And, uh, and so I started reading this book. I found it on archive.org, uh, an amazing resource for all sorts of old unpublished books or books that haven't been published in a long time. And I was reading it and it just struck me as extremely relevant because it was laying out this sort of Masonic agenda for the world. And it was matching not only what had happened the last hundred years or so, but especially it seemed to be very significant with what was going on, frankly, during the lockdowns and the last few years. And so and I, I discovered, as you said, that uh, Pope Leo XIII endorsed this book himself and he paid for it to be translated into Italian and printed wow. several thousand copies. And so, yeah, basically what I did is I, I took it. Uh, there was a partially full version that had been republished in the 50s, but um, it wasn't that good, frankly. And so I, I thought, man, we should get this to a, a Catholic publisher, a republish it. And so basically I provided a lot of explanatory footnotes. There's a number of people and events and things like that that modern readers probably wouldn't know. There are even a few that I didn't know, and I love history. So, you know, just providing some footnotes that explain that, you know, said who they were, what the events were. And I also wrote a pretty extensive, uh, pretty extensive introduction, kind of laying out what the book's about, what Freemasonry is about, all the papal warnings about it and whatnot. Joshua, you and my uh, my radio partner here, Paul Clay, have something in common. Paul came back uh, to the Catholic Church from the Reformed tradition as well. And oh, wow. So, uh, it's 
Paul, Paul goes, he goes, Jess, if, if Joshua came back from the Reformed tradition, he's a smart dude. <laughs> ah, well, it's funny. Uh, I was never fully convinced by the Reformed case, but I did believe that uh, if Protestantism had any leg to stand on, then it would probably be Reformed theology to make it kind of intellectually coherent. Yeah, and I agree with that, Joshua, 100%. Yeah. But in the end, you see where we both ended up, right? Yeah, well, and just to, just to put a plug in for it, I just had my first article at Catholic Answers posted yesterday. It's the first in a three-part series. The original title I gave it was John Calvin's Gnostic Canon of the Bible. Um, <laughs> but I think they renamed it, you know, John Calvin, a Gnostic Protestant, question mark. Yeah. So it basically explains how I, I ran upon his explanation of how he came up with his... 66 book canon of scripture and yeah. uh it was stunningly gnostic it was stunningly you know very similar to the latter-day saint mormon burning in the bosom that you'll while well, you'll read it and you'll just know and you'll be inwardly illuminated by the by the secret testimony of the holy spirit that's what john calvin says so anyway i could go into that further but yeah i it's a it's it's a it's a deep um it's a deep hole of uh, a lot of bad things if people really dig into it. Well, Josh, yeah. give us a give us a two minute soundbite of how you made the jump. I mean, was it a person, a a, a, a book, a, a lecture, a, something you saw on YouTube, where you made the jump from Reformed Christianity to the Catholic faith, or did you already have Catholicism in your roots? I wouldn't. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I was Reformed. I'd say I was just generally Protestant. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, just to be clear. Um. So, uh, yeah, long story short, I loved the Bible since I was a little kid, read it very seriously, read a lot of Christian apologetics, Ravi Zacharias, who we found out a few years ago had a huge fall, Josh McDowell, C.S. Lewis, Chesterton, read a decent amount of Luther and Calvin, when I always cared deeply for my faith. But as I continued to go on, especially during the decade of my 20s, I just kept having issues with how basic protestant doctrines matched up with scripture ironically and mm -hmm. i hadn't even read a catholic hadn't read a church father i was just reading scripture carefully and i was thinking man there's just not all these protestant ideas in here whether it was faith alone or our works can't endanger our salvation not not every protestant believes that but many do yeah. um you know the sacraments the unity of the church a million different issues and i hadn't even read a catholic yet so when so when wow. protestants came to me well it just kind of naturally flows from scripture i'm like no, it doesn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. And many Protestants, when you confront them on the lack of unity in Protestantism, they'll agree. They're very concerned about this. So that that was the lead up. And then uh, I was at the Museum of the Bible and was basically told my, by my boss at the time, once I finished my huge Bible project, which ended up being their grand opening Bible, everyone was focused on opening the building in D.C. People, if they haven't been, they should go. And he said, Josh, research what you want and we'll make it into exhibits afterwards. So I literally had about nine months where I got to research whatever I wanted. So I decided to research the church fathers, having no idea what I was in for. And by the end of it, I was, I was Catholic. That's the short. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, Josh, that's, that's funny because um, when Jesse and I used to debate, uh, I guess you could call them debates on huh, Jess. Uh, uh, he asked me, Paul, have you ever heated discussions, heated discussions? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I came out on the losing end most of the time. But yeah, we were, we were but, two young cops, Josh. We're two young cops that would debate these issues in uniform. That's awesome. But, yeah. But uh, but I can just tell you that Jess asked me, he says, Paul, every time we we talk, you know, you always go back, you know, 
to the Reformation, the end. He said, the church is 2,000 years old. He says, have yeah. you ever studied the church fathers? And he says, and I'm talking about not some Protestant who wrote a book about the church fathers or yeah. who's trying to misquote and say that Augustine really, uh, you know, believed in um, faith alone, yeah. <laughs> you know, or something yeah. like that. And so when I went back and, and I started reading the church fathers, I was like, man, these guys were Catholic. Yeah. This is not this is not what I was told you know, this myth that basically the church started out really well. And then all of a sudden, by the time Constantine came around, you know, yep. uh, brought in all these pagan uh, ideas and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, um, I can totally um, relate to your story. And, you know, and I'm just reminded of sacred scripture that says uh, those that seek me will find me and I will yep. not hide my face. And that's exactly what I know happened to you as it did with myself. Yeah. Well, the church is a city on a hill. So, um, yes. you know, I've heard a lot of a lot of Catholics, cradle Catholics who, you know, sometimes will claim, well, my priest told me this. And, you know, that's a very serious problem when priests, mm -hmm. you know, defectively Extremely. catechize their people and tell them yes. they're wrong. I mean, the things I've been told priests have told parishioners and confessionals, I'm, I mean, huh. it's just disgusting. Yes. Um, but at the same time, the truth is out there. If you want yes. to know it, it's out there. It's not yes. like it's hidden, you know. Uh, it's, it's the largest Christian communion in the world by far, uh, and it has a 2,000-year history. And uh, Jesse, do you mind if I tell a super quick story uh, on no, this No, no, go. We got time. Yeah, jump. Go okay, super, super, because I know I was, I'm on about the book primarily, yeah. but yeah. so I had a number of Mormon missionaries over recently. Like you, Jesse, I'm very uh, fervent in evangelism. Amen. And some of my Protestant friends said, well, this is just converts fervent. It's like, no, I've always been fervent about this. It's why I became Catholic. Um, I did a lot of evangelization, evangelization throughout my whole life, but, um, but, uh, no. So I had these Mormon missionaries over and very, very nice guys, very nice guys. And so I did my research, you know, they believe in a theory called the great apostasy. It's mm -hmm. actually very similar to Protestantism. I'll, I'll explain why here and just very quickly. So essentially when you go on the LDS website, their official website, you know, they, they have their own sort of magisterium, so to speak. Um, what is the great apostasy? They will literally say, that Peter had the keys. So it's like, mm -hmm. okay, that's very Catholic so far. Wow. Um, and that there was a priesthood. Yeah. Okay, yep. still very Catholic. But then they'll say after the, the last apostle died, it all fell apart. Priesthood authority didn't get passed down. The keys didn't get passed down. Hence the need for a, a restoration by Joseph Smith, they will claim. <laughs> and so when they came over, I kind of brought the quotes out from the LDS website, and I printed out some quotes from St. Pope Clement of Rome and from St. Ignatius of Antioch who I call St. Ignatius of Antioch affectionately the St. Ignatius the Red Pill because he's my confirmation <laughs> saint because he was the one who really opened my eyes to how deeply Catholic the church was from the beginning. So anyway, mm -hmm. I read them these quotes where St. Pope Clement talks about Christ and the apostles establishing the episcopate and how it succeeds to the ministries of the uh, ministry of the apostles. Uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch constantly talking about the priesthood, the necessity of union with the bishop and, uh, you know, the sacrifice and, and, uh, how the priesthood is the new Sanhedrin. Um, and I'm reading it and I'm, and I just said to them, they don't, these guys knew the apostles. They didn't seem aware at all that there'd been a loss of priesthood or, or the authority of the keys. And they had no answer. They just said, nice guys. And they brought one of their supervisors with them, um, who, who was more learned in, in LDS matters, but they, they just had no answer. So. Yeah. Hold they, that and they never hold on yeah. thought, guys, Jesus, 911. Uh, great discussion. <laughs> Three guys that love the Lord. We'll be right back. Jesus, one.
now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. We got a ride along today. We got Brother Josh Charles here <laughs> hanging out with us uh, as we're cruising out there trying to win souls for Christ. Joshua, well, you wrote an incredible book that's opened up a lot of people's eyes. Um, and and it's, it's a timely topic because so many people are basically feeling, uh, they're feeling the pulse of the world right now. And there's a lot of talk about, obviously, eschatology. There's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the globalists are trying to depopulate the earth. There's some things that are undeniable. And so I think no. your book, the, your book, The War of the Antichrist with the Church and Christian Civilization, is absolutely timely because a lot of us have all, always known, just uh, from the tradition of the church, that the, uh, the Freemasons are not, not, are not the friends of the Catholic Church, and they are very powerful. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, since you wrote a book, and the Knights of Columbus for Catholic men is kind of a you know, good old boys club for Catholic men, and, and a lot of good Catholic men join the Knights like myself and, and do good work within the Knights of Columbus. When I talk to some Protestant friends of mine, to them, they look at the Freemasons as something innocuous like the Knights of Columbus. Because they've told me, they'll go, yeah, Jess, it's like your Knights of Columbus. And I said, no, 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 I think, I think there's, there's something deeper than that. But I think the average, probably low-information, good-natured Protestant gentleman probably doesn't know the inner workings of the Freemasons like you do and like you've written in your book. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't claim to know too much about the inner inner workings but yeah but yeah um so the way monsignor dylan the the original author of this book again we republished it and pope leo the 13th talk about it they use freemasonry as a term kind of a catch-all term for occultism all occult societies occult simply means secret um and they also make the distinction that they're not talking about the average freemason that's at your local lodge who frankly knows very little about what he's involved in they no, frequently that's, talk what, yeah, about, that's what I just said, right? Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. That was, yeah, okay. Yeah, they frequently talk about how um, uh, many of these occult societies began by trying to attract Catholics who didn't know any better. And, you know, so they're, you know, one of my favorite, I'm a classical musician. One of my favorite composers is Mozart. You know, uh, he, was a, he was a Catholic, but he was also a Freemason. So I, hmm. I hope to God he, uh, he did so... Uh, uh, in with uh, with lack of culpability because uh, it may have been one of the situations where even Mozart was not fully aware. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Yeah. But my point is, is that Pope Leo XIII and Monsignor Dillon say that, yes, uh, many Catholics have been drawn into this by the apparent purpose of doing good works, charitable works, kind of like the Knights of Columbus. And so, therefore, that's kind of the popular perception of the Freemasons these days. Um, but it really goes much, much deeper than that. And yeah. What Leo XIII and Monsignor Dillon are, are talking about is really the much, much higher levels. And people need to realize, um, so let me back up a little bit. Our world right now takes Masonic principles as granted. So let me, la let me lay out the bullet points of the agenda that Monsignor Dillon outlined. Uh, total separation of church and state. The destruction of the temporal and the spiritual power of the papacy. Again, uh, back when he wrote this, Mm. The, the papal states were in the midst of what the was two called, swords. What was yeah, what was called yeah, exactly. Uh, we can talk about that in terms of eschatology a lot if we have time. Maybe maybe on Thursday. 
but um, but uh, the the church was in the midst of what was called the Roman question. So in 18, I think uh, 70, the papal states were essentially destroyed. And so the, the Pope was essentially exiled in the Vatican. That was, he was citizen he was Pope on, in house arrest. Yeah. yeah. And so the question was called the Roman question. The Roman question was basically, what do we do with the Pope? Because the Pope was not uh, conceding that he had lost the papal states, right? This was finally uh, solved or resolved in uh, 1929 with the Lateran Treaty. So the point being that this is the context in which Monster and Dylan's writing this. So they had already yeah. destroyed essentially the temporal authority of the Pope. Yes. So then they were going to go to the spiritual authority. What yeah. else was part of the agenda? Uh, totally secularizing education. They didn't want any religious influence in education. Uh, what was another part? Easy divorce laws. They wanted marriage to be yeah. like any well, other business contract. Question, uh, Josh. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever read the... Uh, the naked communist and, 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 or the, the 45 points of the communist party in 1963. Cause I think I've read parts of it. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. Very, very similar on all the points. Yep. Uh, uh, and what their agenda really was. Uh, and as you know, um, the things that you're talking about are things that basically developed after the French revolution. Yep. Right. These ideas were introduced um, and I and I say orchestrated by Satan in order to destroy like when like when you said when you understand uh, and a lot of people don't get this that God is not only you know uh, he's the true God but he's also God over civilization over yeah. society and so that myth of separation of church and state is akin to basically saying separation of God from man exactly. And, and it really doesn't work. And I know it sounds arrogant to some as a Catholic when we say no. Uh, you know, we tolerate other religions. You know, yeah. what I mean, we, there's a tolerance there. But at the same time, we should not be shy about, uh, you know, uh, fighting for and pushing the fact and, and keeping Jesus Christ as Lord over uh, uh, over the civil society. Yeah. Well, and that gets to the 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 uh final points that uh, pope okay. leo 13th and monster dylan said they said it was all intimately tied with socialism and communism this mm -hmm. agenda and that it would end in pantheism wow. nature worship now isn't that interesting with the with the agenda Whoa. we're going through now yeah now what what's the thread of all this this is very important i you know i try to what's the essence of things what is the essence of all this it is the separation of nature from grace so yes. for catholics who may not be aware um, as a Protestant, I had many, many misunderstandings about this, but our soul consists of two parts, two powers, essentially, the intellect and the will. The mm -hmm. intellect is how we know something. The will is how we choose. These are the unique and special endowments that we as human beings have as image bearers of God. So God gives us an intellect and a will by how we know and how we choose. Mm -hmm. So when Adam and Eve fell... Uh, well, prior to them falling, they were in what's called a state of grace, meaning God literally lived within their soul. And yep. when God was living in their soul, their intellect was enlightened, meaning it could yes. see, and their will was strengthened, meaning it could do. It was empowered. Mm. So their soul was empowered to see and empowered to do. But then they sinned, and God said, on that day, you will surely die. Now, when they sinned, did they physically die? No. So what died? Well, their soul. They, they fell into a state of what we would call mortal sin. And in that state, once they propagated, they passed down to us a human nature 
that no longer uh, lived in communion with God as they had originally. That's original sin. It lacked God's living living presence in their soul. So then our Lord comes and assumes human nature, heals it, and makes the union of the divine with human uh, possible again. And that is what we call being in a state of grace. Now, what does grace do? Grace is not just about forgiveness of our sins. That's essential. That's an essential part of it. But it's not just that. It's about enlightening our intellect and strengthening our will. Why? So we can obey God. Yes. That's that's what it's all about. So yes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm glad you made those yeah. distinctions. I just wanted to jump in and tell you that sure. yes, grace builds upon nature. It's not they're yeah. together, right? Uh, and the other thing is is um, uh, yeah, you just point out, you just make so many good points. By the way, I love the way you teach. It just flows. It just oh, you know, uh, no, it's a gift for sure that you have. Um, but um, uh. Uh, as you know, in Protestantism, grace is reduced down to nothing more than unmerited favor. Yeah. You know, it's just God's favor. A legal but, decree. Yes. But we know, yeah, and that God essentially counts us righteous. But we know that grace is actually the life of Jesus Christ being poured out into us in order yeah. to make us, you know, when we become partakers of that divine nature uh, to, like you said, uh, uh it, it gives us the ability to do, right? Yes. Whereas before, and then Protestants kind of miss that point, as you know, where, where you know, like Luther's uh, saying, uh, we're nothing more than a dunghill covered with snow. No, yep. you understand, like I understand, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. New creature. And that, as, as, as the great St. Augustine said, he has merited for us our own ability to merit. Yes. And that, uh, and that doing is so essential and so important. And that's why we always say, and, and Jesse and I, we, we talk about how that's why the Catholic Church represents the fullness of the faith, you know, because it's the, the entire gospel that we're, we're to emulate Christ. We're not just to be counted righteous, never yeah. to be able to do anything pleasing to God, but we're to go out and be, as members of the mystical body of Christ and literally do the works of Christ, extend the, his, uh, his ministry. The incarnation. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, and I, this is a very, very important point. It, it sounds unrelated to Freemasonry, but it's intimately related to Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. Because from the time of the incarnation, we have the building up of Christian civilization. What is Christian civilization? It's not a utopia, by the way. Now, nope. why? We receive a new spiritual life, but what did we still inherit from our first parents? Our fallen body. So we yep. still have a body that's still dead in sin, which is why Paul talks about we're waiting to receive that in the resurrection. We're, you know, all of nature is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So we're still waiting for that new and resurrected body. Um, and so, but why is this related? Because Christian civilization is the result of the union of grace and nature. Hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so it flows from the altar. It flows from the sacraments. That's what a sacramental civilization is. It yes. is one in which primacy is given to as as the first pope saint peter said in, in uh his first or second epistle he says we're, we become partakers of the divine nature that's what we do in the sacraments in each of the mm-hmm. seven sacraments god gives us uh his very life and that enlightens our intellect and strengthens our will again uh you know there there have been sins i've struggled with throughout much of my life and when i came into the church partook of the sacraments and did a daily rosary they've been gone Amen. Uh, now again, there's <laughs> daily temptations, you know. Uh, 
I'm, I'm still true. pretty much red blooded and male. So there are temptations. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but these, the sacraments do, uh, bring these effects into our lives into our souls. And so the Masonic occult uh, agenda is to, again, as, as Christian civilization, the essence of it is bringing together nature and grace. The Masonic agenda is to separate them, which is, that's the through line of all the agenda items I was just saying, whether it be marriage, temporal, spiritual authority, the Pope, uh, secularized education, separation of church and state. And this is why it's intimately connected with socialism and communism, because both are animated by what Pope Leo XIII calls naturalism. Now, coming from my Protestant background, you'll appreciate this. Um, I like to call it sola natura, nature alone, <laughs> yes. since there's so many various solas uh, that are from Protestantism that are heretical ideas, mm -hmm. sola fide, sola scriptura, things like that. And so this idea of nature alone, it's essentially a denial of original sin. So we as Catholics, here, here's a main point, um, and I see the clock coming down to the commercial break, so I'll make it quick. We as Catholics believe that unless God extends himself into our souls, we will not see him for eternal life. Amen. But the Masonic occult idea is different. It's that the divinity is already within you. And yes. that through a certain gnosis, a certain knowledge, you can mm -hmm. access and tap into it. We can go into that. It starts in the garden. Hold that thought. Hold that thought, Joshua. Fascinating conversation. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Good stuff. Jesus 911. Okay. All right. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, having a fascinating conversation. I'll call this Red Meat Catholicism with Joshua Charles. Joshua, uh, so is Freemasonry and its supposed activities in the world and in the church just a conspiracy theory? <laughs> no. Uh, before before I go into that, uh, I had a quick little quote I pulled up on my Twitter that I posted last night from St. Okay. Pope Leo the Great about this whole grace thing. Got it. He said, he said, thus, every bestowal of good works is of God's preparing, because a man is justified by grace rather than by his own excellence. For grace mm. is to everyone the source of righteousness, the source of good, and the fountain of merit. Mm. So, you know... What a, what, a, what a beautiful quote yeah encapsulizing catholic uh theology <laughs> yeah, and that was in a letter condemning pelagianism joshua which, you know yes yeah. you you sound like a, a another friend of mine there's a, another smart dude timothy gordon i've had yeah. conversations with timothy yeah and he's a you friend and T you okay okay you and timothy that explains speak, it <laughs> yeah that you guys speak the same language T Timothy wrote a book about a while back ago called Catholic Republic, Why America Will Perish Without yeah. Rome. Yeah. His arguments are exactly parallel to yours. He's saying the only way America can be saved, Tim argues, is that we have to, we can't separate church and state. We can't separate grace and nature. He says Christian civilization has to bring to America the sacramental system. As I'm listening to T Tim, my past conversations, and I'm listening to you, you guys are giving that same basic solution yeah. that we've got to bring grace and nature together to, yeah. to, to bring back Christian civilization. Well, and Tim would well, argue God's save solution. America. Yeah. yeah, that's God's well, solution. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but but I just got a, a quick question. Um, uh, can you talk a, a little bit about how important, like, for, for me, obviously, in, in the Catholic Church, 
when we offer, when we represent the sacrifice of Christ, you know, to the Lord, how important the worship in the Catholic Church is uh, to the well-being of the planet. And just a little bit, I know it's a little bit off track, but can you talk about no, that? No, it's, I mean, I can, I can loop this all in very easily. Okay. Uh, it's all related right. to eschatology. It's, it's a heavy lift, uh, but let me see if I can do it relatively quickly. Well, first okay. of all, let me answer Jesse's question first about conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theory. Um, so here, here's what I say. I say there are two extremes in the church. One uh, thinks there's a Freemason under every rock. And mm -hmm. and Leo Thirteenth, Monster Dylan, both condemn that. They say no, we can't. There, there can be a tendency to blame every issue in the church on Freemasonry, and that's that's uh, any any um, any monocausal explanation mm -hmm. uh, is is insufficient. I think, and mm -hmm. and what it does is it tends to blind us to our own spiritual um, our own spiritual problems. It gets us to you know point out the law the the speck over there when we haven't dealt with the log you know in here. And so uh, that's one extreme. Uh, that that is not uh, the more concerning extreme. Uh, more uh, concerning extreme, in my opinion, though, the more concerning extreme is, as you were saying, those who just say it's all conspiracy theory. Put your tinfoil hat on. Here's what I say to that: if 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 uh, if if these contentions about Freemasonry are conspiracy theory, then centuries worth of Supreme Pontiffs were conspiracy theorists. That's right. <laughs> and so if you if you if you want to claim that, then <laughs> yeah. then be consistent. Um, yep. and, and frankly, the evidence is all around us. I mean, part of the reason why people think Freemasonry is just about the nice guys doing some charity work at the local lodge is because the principles I've just laid out have completely triumphed in the modern West. These are taken as as uh, granted who even among many so-called conservatives who doesn't agree that divorce should be allowed. That divorce is ultimately within the jurisdiction of the state, not the church. This is this goes back to Protestantism. You read William Bradford, who wrote the he was the first governor of the Plymouth Plantation. He proudly talks about how they put marriage under the jurisdiction of the magistrate because that was against the popish, you know, usurpation. It's like wow. this this goes back to Protestantism. This is not this is not a new thing with masonry. So so. You know, there, there, there. How many conservatives, again, so-called in our in our country today, are fine with contraception, are fine with IVF? You know, th there's all sorts of things. Our yes. Lady of Fatima has very has offered very serious warnings about that. Many people who call themselves Christian and conservative have long since accepted, including many Catholics. Yeah, uh, I'm sad to say. So, and, and, so yeah. And Josh, and obviously, this country was never a Catholic country mm -hmm. and so i noticed that uh you know the popes when they wrote these things they were dealing with the like the alta vendita that you know they yeah. were dealing with those issues in europe that were you know coming out in force against the church and they weren't hiding but over here they never had to because it was already essentially they had already uh had freemasonry ingrained in the founding of this country so uh, I think a lot of people don't see it as much as a threat, but they're just uninformed with the ostrich mentality head in the sand. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And Scott Hahn and I will be writing a book about the American founding next year. So we're, we're working on it now. So I'm, I'm nice. very excited about that. Nice. I, I would agree a lot with book. many of Tim's observations, not all of them. Um, but I want to give a lot of historical grounding, a lot of philosophical grounding. 
there's a lot I admire about the founders. Uh, and mm -hmm. so part of what Scott and I want to do is, is emphasize some of the natural goodness that we should be yes. proud of as Americans, yes. you know, yes. the idea of separation of powers, checks and balances, you know, these were, um, sorry, I'm trying to avoid sneezing. <laughs> I look a little weird. Like I'm, I'm like, don't sneeze, don't sneeze. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, but we, we want to emphasize a lot of the natural goodness, um, that we should be proud of, you know, uh, Polybius, Aristotle, St. Thomas Aquinas all talk about the excellence of a mixed regime, you know, that mixes monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy. We did that in a, in a, on a scale that had never been done before. <clears throat> but there's also some elements that are extremely problematic. You know, America was the first Western polity since the time of Constantine to not explicitly acknowledge <clears throat> Christ as king. Mm. That's, that's a problem. People yes. don't realize that. You know, the, the, the French Revolution was initially more bloody, but many of the principles um, in one form or another came from the American Revolution. Now, there's some differences that we don't. This is not about America. Right. The show. But that's a that's a much, much longer discussion. But um, but yeah, you're right. There, there is that uh, that Freemasonic grain at the very beginning where the founders constantly said religion is absolutely vital to maintaining liberty because people essentially need to police themselves um if they're going to have as little government control as possible and that the less that happens the more tyrannical government will get look outside your window they've been proven right but at the same time um they they were never specific about what that religion is so this is this is where grace and understanding the sacraments is so important and i'll loop back into what you just said about the sacrifice of the mass mm -hmm. every every um every culture what's the root of the word culture cult cult every culture is defined by what it worships and mm. so Christian civilization was defined by the sacrifice of the mass. That's why when Protestantism came in, what did, what did it everywhere try to do? Alter the mass, make the mass illegal. It was in that sense, frankly, a typological uh, prefiguring of Antichrist. We know mm -hmm. that uh, at the end of time, the fathers are unanimous on this, that and for three and a half years, Antichrist will bring the public celebration of the mass, the public sacrifice of the mass to an end. Um, and so uh, that was also something as, as I'm reading Monsignor Dillon's book during the lockdowns and it's my first Easter and mm. through much of the world, it's essentially canceled. Uh, I, I knew my fathers. I came into the church from the fathers. I had been studying the topic of eschatology right before the lockdowns began. Um, wow. and as a Protestant, I was never one of those end times obsessed guys. I, I actually coined a term for, for my disdain for that. I called it apocalyptomania. And, mm -hmm. and I don't think we should be end times obsessed now, by the way. There's no, many reasons no. for that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, what was happening in 2020 was certainly, again, a prefiguring of what Antichrist will do, uh, which made it all the more auspicious and interesting. Because if you shut down the mass, you shut down the, the life force, to speak in a very non-Catholic way, you shut down the life force of Christendom. And if you make the sacramental life unavailable to the the faithful, Bam. that's a huge problem. Again, that, yes. that means your intellect and your will 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 decrease in enlightenment and strength, respectively. You know, I think probably the the um, the emblematic headline of the of the 2020 period, maybe of our age, was I was seeing the mass was completely canceled in Italy while Pornhub was offering free premium accounts. Wow. Yeah. That's the that's yeah. the spirit and, of our age right now. Yeah, and and hence the wow. the great the great falling away, Josh. Right, which which basically 
you know, leads us to the rise of the Antichrist. When, when the falling away of the faith occurs, that's one of the things that has to happen. And we're seeing that. Yeah, well, you mentioned earlier the civilizational uh, implications of, of Christ's reign and authority. That's completely true. This is a huge topic, mm -hmm. um, but I can give a, a very short version of it. Okay. Essentially, um, in the same way that the the mind, the individual mind must be enlightened and the will must be strengthened, the same is true at a civilizational level. So this is why the church's traditional teaching has been the two powers, the two swords. So the two swords refer to the secular authority and the spiritual authority. Yes. Um, the secular authority, like any of us in a state of original sin, is not capable of perceiving, let alone legislating according to even yes. the natural law. It can yes. do it partially, right? We have right. examples of that in various legal systems throughout the world. It can, it can, it can approach it as if by shadows and whatnot. Um, but without the spiritual power, without the yes. priesthood, yes. without without its accepting a position of sonship yes. to spiritual fathers, um, it, it will not perceive even the natural law, let alone yes. uh, let alone legislate according to it. And so, what happens is, is that. When the temporal power refuses the the guidance of the spiritual power, it not only ceases to legislate according to natural law, it begins positively legislating that which is unnatural. Which yes, again, just, just look outside. Mm. Just look yes. outside. You know, this is but, not a conspiracy theory. This is happening everywhere. Well, well, Josh, it was explained to me this way, and I'm sure you know. I, I don't have the mind that you have, but uh, but bear hold with that, me. But hold that thought. To, uh, hold that thought. This is good. We're going to pick it up on the two-sword theory. Uh, yeah, the Red Meat Catholicism, Jesus 911. Three-man car today. We got Joshua Charles, the author of the, the incredible book, The War of the Antichrist. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Good stuff. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Fascinating discussion. Interview with Joshua Charles. He's the author of the book, The War of the Antichrist. It's an old book that was written back in the 19th century by uh, Monsignor Dillon. And uh, Joshua just uh, added some, some uh, commentary. He's, he's updated it. Uh, he's, he's brought it uh, to, uh, to its current form today. Because we're still we're still against the war against the Antichrist today. It's probably yes. even closer now. But Paul, yeah. you had a, you had a good question that you were asking Josh right before the break. Yeah, it was basically piggy, piggybacking off of what Josh was talking about. Um, Josh, you reminded me of sacred scripture, which says that the natural man does not receive the things of God, nor can he. That is yeah. to say, he he does not have the ability to. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. And so without that supernatural grace, like at the beginning, when you said that grace that allows us to do, right, allows us to do something and to be pleasing to God and empowers us to, to accomplish what Christ has commanded us to do, um, that uh, so so the idea was like that I was, was going to bring out was this. Um, so the man has faith, his family has faith, the community has faith, and then eventually the state has faith, which results in just laws. Whereas 
when the man doesn't have faith, when we say, oh, we don't want Jesus and separation of churches, you know, let's get Jesus out of there. We can't pray anymore. And okay, then his family doesn't have faith. The community doesn't have faith. And then the state doesn't have faith. Therefore, we, the state then invokes unjust laws. And so we have men that can marry men. We have uh, mm -hmm. abortion and we have all the things that, you know, youth, uh, euthanasia, all the things that, that we see as horrible, horrible, you know, uh, things that offend God that are happening in civil society or, you know, so I, I, I just see that connection that you brought out, Josh, as so, you know, um, vital between God, those two swords, the, the, you know, they, they must stay connected. Yeah. Well, and they must and, stay because the temporal power uh, is not capable of perceiving these things. Yes. Known. That's the thing. Yes. Yes. You know, that, that's how grace centric the Catholic faith is. And yes. So, yes. Now we'll probably have to get into the more eschatological aspects on, on Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, you know, one of the reasons I became Catholic is because I saw the Catholic church had all the right enemies. <laughs> that's one of the reasons. <laughs> right. Uh, and many of those enemies, you know, are within, right now uh that that'll again true. be a part of the eschatological discussion so true. But one of the reasons uh i think the key reason freemasonry hates the catholic church so much and has identified it as its number one target its number one enemy i mean you can read masonic books from these authors in the late 19th century early 20th century where their whole conception of history they literally go back to the garden and they will say man have this choice of knowledge and enlightenment or being enslaved you know that that's how they view the garden yeah. situation and and they'll basically say that the offer of enlightenment and knowledge was freemasonry and the offer to be enslaved was the catholic faith wow and so, gnosticism secret oh, knowledge yeah. Yeah. oh yeah mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. so the reason why is because the catholic church is the only one that will claim the authority to bind the conscience Yes. Right. Mm. Yes. Uh, there is an objective authority to bind and loose that heaven yes. has put its stamp behind. And Seven. this is think about the spirit of our age. Think of how offensive this is. The spirit of our age where people, many people don't even want to be told that their own bodies are binding on them, let alone some some yes. external church. Authority. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, so you, you so know. this is this the, the authority to bind the conscience is why the Catholic church is foremost because look, I love our Orthodox brethren, the Eastern Orthodox. Yeah. Um, they have, they, frankly, they've done uh, a better job of preserving some of the liturgical reverence that we have too often lost in the Catholic church. So I give them yes. great credit for that. Yes. Good for them. But yes. unfortunately um, they do not, they do not have this authority for the world. No. They, they're they're a, a set of autocephalous churches, meaning kind of nation centric churches. So yeah, you know, the Russian Orthodox Church, for example, <clears throat> beyond the fact that it's it's very problematic for a variety of reasons, it's patriarchal. Used to be part of the KGB. Um, it does not. <clears throat> it's the largest Orthodox body by far in the world, but it does not have the authority to bind and loose for all Christians. If the Amen. Orthodox are right, that universal authority. Uh, either never existed or doesn't exist any longer. And so that's why orthodoxy is certainly a target of the Freemasons because they're the next best thing, but they're still yep. not the ultimate target yes. because the, the only communion that, that claims the authority to bind and loose on a universal level for all it. of humanity is we the know Catholic, it. Catholic yes. universal church.
it, you know, Josh, the way I, you know, um, I kind of explain things is I say, look at um, when you understand that um, uh, we say that we are one nation under God, right? See, under God is where we want to be. Uh, uh, you know, we're not when when we're in the kingdom, we're not free to uh, offend the king, but we have certain freedoms that are given to us by the king with, you know, with, with limitations and the world and Freemasons, they want the same freedom that Satan wanted essentially, which was, I will not serve, you know, the Psalm chapter two, the Kings of the earth gathered together, the rulers, yeah. and they, they gather together against the Lord and against his Christ, his anointed. And, and they want to break away from the chains. They think that God's laws are burdensome yeah. and God's laws, as you know, Josh, full well, they, they, they're basically, they assist us in achieving our end, which is God. They help us. Yeah. Comment on that. Well, Josh. again, a lot of this started with Protestantism. You know, that's yes. a long discussion, the connection between, between Protestantism and occultism. It goes wow. very deep Wow! Uh, because Protestants, the original ones, you know, they saw the church assigning fast days as an exercise of tyranny. It's yes. like, no, it's, it's an, I mean, you were talking about it's under God. Well, yeah. you know, I'll quote St. Cyprian, he who doesn't have the church as mother can't have God as father. Amen. And brother. so um, again, this is not, it's not a utopian scheme. There's, there's been plenty of corruption in the priesthood, frankly, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how much I'd want temporal powers to be subject to the current priesthood, much of it. Um, yeah. yes. you know, again, yeah. and when I say subject, it doesn't mean yeah. to have priests rule and take over. That's not what it means. What it means is that the state cannot auto-define morality. There it cannot go. define okay. morality for itself, and it cannot define the articles of faith. This mm -hmm. is always exactly. and everywhere in the province of the church, which is why in the Protestant revolt, it was, it was a series. I mean, I'm being a bit simplistic here. But it was a series of nation states that essentially wanted to emancipate themselves from the church. And 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 why? Well, in the case of Henry VIII, it was very clear why. Um, you know, a lot of it did have to do with, uh, you know, below the belt issues, as it always does. I don't know about you guys, but every time <laughs> yeah. I've seen somebody go left or leave Christianity, there's always a Sixth Commandment issue. Always. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. Luther, I personally think, had a lot of these issues. Um, but it, but Protestantism began the ball rolling of taking marriage out of the jurisdiction of the church, yes, jurisdiction of the state, yeah, and then the principle that the the uh, religion of the prince will be the religion of the people. Uh, I'm forgetting well, the Latin phrase for it, but that was from the Peace of Westphalia uh, after yeah. the the Thirty Year War, um, and and so it, Protestantism guaranteed the supremacy of the temporal over the spiritual. But that's exactly what we've seen with the COVID stuff, with the with the bent of our world the last century since Monsignor Dillon wrote the book. It's essentially inverting the relationship of Christian civilization. Christian civilization is based on the supremacy of the spiritual over the natural. Uh, modern civilization is based on the exact reverse of that. Josh, two yeah. things I want to mention is that Christian civilization. I've heard somebody say that if you want to if you want to know what Western civilization is. The oldest expression of that is the holy sacrifice of the mass. That is Western civilization in, in, in a nutshell. It is the oldest expression of Western civilization. And also, I think the, the goal that we've been fighting against the Freemasons and, and all the other occultists 
is Catholics, our goal is to usher in the social reign and the social kingship of Jesus Christ. And that's the battle today. It's still the battle today. Uh, you know, you have occult forces, obviously, that, that don't want Christ to be enthroned in the hearts of every man and every nation. And we do. And that's the battle that we're going to fight until the end of time, correct? Yeah, well, and as a preview for Thursday, so in 2 Thessalonians 2, this is where Paul talks most explicitly about Antichrist. He calls him the man of lawlessness. And then he says, but he says he's restrained. His coming is restrained. The Greek term is katakon. Won't get into all the details here. We don't have enough time. But essentially, there's been a debate over the years about what this restraint is. Uh, many of the church fathers believe it's something Roman, probably the Roman Empire. We'll get into that on Thursday. Um, but but it, it, essentially, what I want to the point I want to make here is this: If Antichrist is the man of lawlessness, then that which restrains him must necessarily be a source of lawfulness. Amen. And that get, again, it gets back to the two powers. What is the church traditionally taught about the two powers? Suffice it to say, there has always been an element that has attacked the church without and within. But thanks to the power provided by Christ's cross and the sacraments, I mean, there are so many amazing stories in the church fathers about the priesthood spreading through the world and the power of the sacraments pushing back pagan demonic priests and like these these spiritual battles, frankly, that take that took place between priests and and demonic priests and the things, you know, they'd find. In Alexandria, Egypt, they found a whole chamber full of dead bodies as, as the city was becoming Catholic and whatnot. So so uh, the the strong man, just to, to use some preview language for next Thursday, uh, the strong man was bound by the cross. Mm. Amen. And why was he bound? Because in the parable of our Lord, to plunder his goods so his goods could be plundered. And uh. so, but then we're also told, uh, it's implied in Second Thessalonians 2, it's explicit in Apocalypse 20, and I would argue a few other places, but Satan will be released for a brief time toward the end. And so all these things, all these forces of evil that have not been destroyed but have been restrained during the period of Christendom will come back. And But they'll not only come back, they'll come back worse. That's part of my theory because a civilization that never knew Jesus is in a really bad state. A civilization that knew him and rejects him is in a far, far worse state. That, yeah, that, it's like... That's it's like when the we're in now. it's like it's like when the when the when the strong man is cast out, uh, he comes back with seven. He comes more. back with yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a deep there's a deep typological mystery here that we can talk a lot about more on Thursday. It's it's very very deep. You know, uh, uh, Jonathan Kahn, he's a Protestant. You know, he, you know, rabbi messianic guy. That's what he claims. Good guy, but he has a recent book called Return of the Old Gods. This is something Naomi Wolf recently wrote about. She actually retweeted a tweet I wrote about this. It's like, yeah, the old gods, I believe, have returned. They are returning. And the reason why I believe, and we'll get into it on Thursday, is because the restraint of Christendom is is at almost at the end of the right. restraint. Get the book. Get the book. War of the Antichrist. Tenbooks.com. Tenbooks.com. War of the Antichrist. We'll have Joshua next Thursday. Get Thank you. the book. War of the Antichrist by Joshua Charles. 10books.com, 10books.com. Joshua, we'll see you. God bless you. Keep the Thank faith, Thank you very much, friend. Jesse and All Paul. Right. Thank you.